Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Y'all go ahead and get your Bibles open. Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, you can get one in your hands. They're back on the table. If you need one, just put your hand in there. We'll make sure you get one in your hands. We've got one over here that needs a Bible. If you can get a Bible off the table um, in the back, um, we want you to keep that Bible. If you don't have one, that's yours to take home and keep, your, keep to yourself. And we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're turning there, you go ahead and stand on your feet once you got it. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been looking at, walking through this line by line, what Jesus calls for uh, true followers of Jesus to look like. What does it look like to be a true disciple? What we've been saying, what is it like to live as a Christian in an everyday world? So we've been walking through this line by line, verse by verse. Today we're in verse 27. So if you've got it, go ahead and say, got it. All right, verse 27. The text says, you have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Say the words of God, amen. Today I want to preach on godly sex. Godly sex. Can y'all say that with me? Come on, I know you want to. Godly sex. Godly sex. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your goodness. You are an awesome God. We thank you for the sun shining and just smiles on our faces because of that. God, you're an awesome God. God, we thank you for bringing us into this place. Father, I just ask that you'd hide me behind your cross. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase in this place. Let your folks hear a word from you and not from me. May you be lifted up, God. We give you this time. Speak with my mouth, think with my mind. I'm yours, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray all these things that we say together. Amen, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Ready? Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that... Don't act like y'all don't know that song. Come on now. Y'all like, we in church, Pastor D. I can't see that song. We're going to talk about sex this morning. See, Jesus in this passage, he covers that topic, and we're going to talk about it because in a society like ours today, there's so many different understandings of what sex is. What is it? So biblically, we're going to look at it today um, in the guidelines and guidelines and what Jesus calls for us to have godly sex. What does that mean, okay? Before we get into our passage and breaking that down, let me give you a bit of context. Let's go to school a bit and where we are today talking about godly sex. Jesus in this passage... He's doing the same thing he did in the passage we discussed last week where he's taking the, the, the teaching or the law 
and now he's, he's juxtaposing or contrasting it to his own teaching. So what he's doing, he's not taking the law and changing the law. He's not adding to the law. He's not getting rid of the law. He's not intensifying the law. But what he's doing instead is bringing more clarity to it or bringing us back to the original intent of what God actually meant in the commandments. Remember, as I said last week, this is important to note because people a lot of times misinterpreted the law. And what they did is they cheapened the meaning of the law. They cheapened what God actually meant or set forth because they said, well, if I just don't do this, then that means that I'm okay with God. That means if if I just obey this commandment right here, then I'm good with God. And see, that's a huge misunderstanding because that only focused on what a person did. It only focused on their actions where God is much more concerned with the condition of your heart. Because sin does not start with what you do. It's deeply entrenched in our hearts, which is why many of us are struggling with the same things over and over again because we're trying to change the actions. We're trying to change what we do with our hands, and God is like, look, look, just come to me. Give me your heart. Let me change it. We don't realize that there's something deeper within us Deeper within our hearts, that's depraved and chooses the opposite of direction of the way God is leading. So in result, what we do is we take the law of the Bible, just like these folks do, and, and we have it only pertain to certain parts of our lives. We only have it pertain to what we want it to or our understanding, which again weakens God's law. We have it pertain to our actions. So it's weakening what he's really trying to get at. For instance, if you missed last week, maybe some of you guys weren't here. You're not knowing what I'm talking about. One saying, thou shall not murder. We see that in the text. It says, one shall not murder. Thou shall not murder. When somebody takes this literally, follow me with this, it says, and says, well, as long as I don't murder someone, that I'm good with God, they're missing what he's trying to say in the commandment. So Jesus brings clarity to this, and he corrects them, and he says, well, one shouldn't even be angry with another person. You shouldn't even have contempt for another person. You don't need to call someone out of their name. You see, and by doing this, he's correcting the misunderstanding of the law or the commandment. Now he's further exposing the mess in our hearts because here's the truth. All of us get angry with somebody. We've all been angry with somebody else. We've all, if we're, if we're honest, we've called somebody out of their name. We probably did it this morning. We've been there before. <laughs> we've been there before. And as a result, you don't understand the hope in Jesus with this and and the fact that he fulfilled the law. See, this interpretation brings hopelessness. Like, I just got to change my actions. We're missing what he's actually saying in this text because we've failed. We've all failed at being angry. But if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it furthers your appreciation for him. It it furthers your your dependence on him, your love for him, because you begin to understand all that Jesus did for you by dying the death you deserved on the cross, but also by fulfilling the law that we couldn't do. We couldn't fulfill it. Jesus dies, but he also fulfills all the commandments. See, in this passage, Jesus is talking about the seventh commandment, where he begins by stating just the same as he did last week, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Y'all see that? You have heard? You shall not commit adultery. Then he says the word, but. 
The word but, again, this is a contrasting conjunction, which means that Jesus is about to say something that's opposite of what people have been taught. Jesus then says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their heart. Now, to bring clarity to this word adultery, adultery usually referred to sexual relations by a married person with another person other than his or her spouse. But when you read verse 28, it makes it very clear that Jesus is not limiting this commandment to married people going outside of the marital covenant, but speaking of sexual sin in general. Now, hear me. Lust in its definition is just simply having strong sexual desire. God made us with these desires, but only to be explored in the marital covenant between a man and a woman. So in order to talk about lust, we have to talk about sex. We have to talk about sex, and we have to have a right understanding of God's intention to know how to combat sexual sin. Now, I know this is tough. I tried to make light of it a little bit. Let's talk about sex and all that. But this is a tough, tough subject to talk about. We, we don't like talking about sex. It's off limits what I do with my sexuality. We don't like to do that. Or it's more glorified amongst men to be sexual promiscuous. I mean, sexually promiscuous. We, we, with women, it's looked down upon. I mean, for instance, in society... It's expected nowadays for men to look at porn and masturbate, but not for a woman. But in reality, you know what? Women are doing it just as much as men, but in secret. We now live in an over-sexualized culture. Mainstream movies tend or lend more towards pornography. Popular music has sexualized lyrics all through it. Every fourth mouse click, this one messed me up. Every fourth mouse click is towards sexual content. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry worldwide. And hear me, just because society is okay with it, just because it's expected by society, that does not make it biblically okay. So family, to talk about sexual sin, y'all, on a biblical level, it's not easy. It's not easy because it, it's so overlooked or normalized in society. Jesus in this text, though, he, he's focused on one's heart. He's not focused on the actions where he says just to look at a woman with lustful intent. He's committed adultery, not with his hands, not with his eyes, but in his heart. Now, when you read this, at first glance, it seems impossible because the fact is God made people beautiful. And you're always going to see people that you are attracted to physically that may not be your spouse, whether you're married or you're not. If you're honest, this is true. But when Jesus says, looks at a woman, that word look in the original language, Greek is pronounced blepon. Everybody say blepon which is a present tense participle that refers to one who continues to look instead of just having a passing glance. 
they continue to stare. They didn't just see something and keep going. They continue to stare. Now, hear me with this because I don't want you to miss this. It's okay to recognize beauty, but to linger as to be like a dog with your tongue out your mouth or your eyes popping out of your head like a cartoon character licking your lips like LL Cool J, you went too far. <laughs> you went too far. See, it's okay to, 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 to see beauty and recognize beauty, but when you start, when you start to linger, that's where, that's where it becomes wrong. That lingering too much is where we start imagining things. We start having lustful thoughts. Our, our minds and hearts take us to places that we should not go. Now, to my women in here, don't check out on me just because the text says a man that looks at a woman with lustful intent. Yes, it's true that men are a little bit more or a lot more visually stimulated than women. In fact, after a man sees someone, maybe a naked woman, and he lingers a little bit too long, they say that he could, have, he could be ready for sex in about 7.7 seconds. We like microwaves. <laughs> it's quick. That's how long, statistically, it takes a man to have an erection. Yeah, we're going to go there to this morning. We're going to be real, okay? So, yes, in terms of visual stimulation... And the way the text reads, it may pertain to men more, but dealing with the lust of one's heart, Jesus is not implying that this passage does not apply to women. Women can commit adultery too. Women also can have lust in their hearts. They can look at a man with lustful intent too. Don't look at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I know y'all watching Luther like, oh, that Idris Elba girl, black chocolate, oh. Denzel Washington, Justin Timberlake, got your NSYNC poster in the, in the closet. Bye, bye, bye. Don't act like y'all know what I'm talking about. We all got lust in our hearts. This is what Jesus is trying to get at in this text. We all have lust in our hearts, this problem. And the problem with lust is that when we have it for someone outside of the marital covenant, because hear me, you should have feelings, or you should want your spouse. Let me say that again, because you should want to be with your spouse physically. I'm getting to you, okay? <laughs> and I got to say this because some of us grew up this way. People have overused this, 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 this passage and said, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. How many of y'all grew up that way? Don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. Sex is from the devil. Sex is from the devil. You hear all these things. They tell you don't do it, but they never tell you about how God created it. They never tell you about how, how, how beautiful it is, how God wants you to experience one another. They don't talk about the good things. I mean, can I be honest with you for a second? I mean, the sex talk wasn't given in my house. How many of y'all, like me, didn't have a sex talk growing up? Single-parent household, we didn't have a sex talk in my house. We didn't do the birds and the bees. The extent of the sex talk in my house was, are you using protection? Are you using protection? And me, honestly, I, I was an athlete. I, I was big time in Indiana, so I thought I was the man. So as an athlete, I felt like I could do whatever I wanted to, when I wanted to, with whoever I wanted to. I told you I'm going to be honest with y'all. 
I never looked at sex as a sin. It was just something that we did in life. Never had the talk. I mean, the first sex talk I can remember, if I go way back, was when the D.A.R.E. police officer used to come to school. Y'all know about the D.A.R.E. officer? Came in with the nasty pictures and people turning green because they're having sex and stuff. I'm like, man, come on, dude. Trying to scare you so you don't have sex. The first time somebody actually sat me down and talked about sex for real was when I was 18 and I had just given my life to the Lord. Two days afterwards, they had a sex talk, and it shook me up. It messed me up because I didn't know what I was doing with the women that I laid with. I didn't know the physical and the spiritual union I had created with these women. It messed me up. And that day, I made a pact with the Lord. I said, Lord, I will not have sex again until I'm married because this is what you called me to. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but, Lord, I'm going to do this with you. And but with the help of mentors and friends on my side, I was celibate for the next three years until my wife and I got married. Now, it wasn't easy at all. I mean, it's like taking a bite of your favorite cookie. How many of y'all like cookies? Man, my favorite cookie is macadamia nut cookies. I love some macadamia nut cookies. And if I take a bite of it, it's hard for me to put it back. But here... By God's grace, I was able to put the cookie back in the drawer and wait until it was time to open it. Y'all not following me with that. See? <laughs> see, family, what I'm trying to get at here is that we have to understand why God created sex to help with combating sexual sin. God invented sex for four purposes. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, God created sex for babies. Babies, it says, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in number in Genesis 128. God commands the husband and his wife to go have sex, make babies, and multiply. He designed a man and a woman's body with the ability to make a baby through sexual intercourse. God loves people. God wants his people to love him and worship him. The more worshipers the better. So he says, look, I made you, you love me, go multiply. Go make babies. Number two, God created sex for unity. Created sex for unity. Genesis 2, 24 says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. God has made males and females unique. He's made them distinct unique and distinct in their being and in their roles. The sexual act between a husband and a wife unites them physically and spiritually as their bodies and their souls mingle together and become one flesh in a very real way. Number three, God created sex for pleasure. Y'all was waiting on this one, right? He, He created sex for pleasure. God designed our bodies specifically so that there are plenty of pleasure nerves in our sexual organs and sexual areas, our breasts, our genitals. He he designed us that way so we can enjoy sex. There is also this release of stimulants throughout the body during sex that takes us over the top. It takes us over the top. See, this chemical high is the same reason People can get addicted to sex or, or pornography addiction because they, they want that high. Song of Solomon 
It talks about pleasure a lot. Y'all ever read the Song of Solomon? Some people try to over-spiritualize this book and say it's about God and the church. No, no, this is about a man and his wife. <laughs> and talking about pleasure a lot in this text. And sex is supposed to be enjoyable. We look at chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Look at these words that Solomon says to his bride. He says, how beautiful are you? How pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb, climb that palm tree and I will take hold of his fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of a grape on, grape on a vine. Come on now. The fragrance of your breath is like apples and, the, and your mouth is like the best wine. That's the Bible. This is Solomon talking to his new bride, enjoying, they're enjoying each other's bodies. He talks about grabbing her breast. He says her mouth tastes like the best wine. How does he know what her mouth tastes like? Because his tongue is in her mouth. (laughs) Y'all, this is in the Bible. They're enjoying pleasures of sexual intimacy Right here. Now look at her response to Solomon. Chapter 8, verse 14, she says these words. She says, come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. Any guess what the spice-laden mountains are? The spice-laden mountains are her breast. And she had a sachet of perfume sitting right in between them. You see this in chapter 1, verse 13. So she's saying, come away, come with me, explore, be a part of this with me, enjoy intimacy with me. And she's enjoying the pleasure of sexual pursuit. Hear me, family. Don't believe the lie that pleasure is from the devil. God made sex, and he made it good and pleasurable on purpose. But when people or we pursue pleasure outside of the context of heterosexual monogamous marriage, that's when we get in trouble. It's when we get in trouble, which brings us to the fourth point. God created sex for glory. Hear me. Holy sex glorifies our holy God. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In the sexual act, we experience our souls mingling together, similar to how God's spirit and our spirit unite as we surrender our hearts to him. God has designed sex as a wedding gift that allows us to get a taste of the spiritual closeness that happens between Christ and his followers as our souls become one. See, the sexual act is not just a physical moment of pleasure, but it's a very deep spiritual experience of two souls, two eternal souls getting as close as physically possible. They're sharing body heat, sharing body fluids, mixing cells together, mixing souls together. It's the sharing of the sacred space that goes way beyond a kiss or a tingle or a feeling of closeness or an orgasm. Yo, this is what messed me up when I was doing it outside of the marital covenant. So hear me, y'all, but, but hear me. There should be a longing for intimacy. It's, it's a great thing. God created us with this longing for intimacy. 
but only enjoyed fully acceptable in God's sight in marriage. He made the gift of sex for marriage. So hear me. Because I know some of you still looking at this passage like, well, I'm not married. I'm not married, so I can't commit adultery. This doesn't really apply to me. I, 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 I see where you're going, Pastor D, but this is not me. Well, let me say to you, unless you're married to the woman or the man that you're laying with, sleeping with, or lusting after, then you're most likely lusting after or sleeping with someone else's wife or husband. Now, the question becomes with all of this, just like in the passage last week, what does one do with all of this? Because if we're honest, we all have lust within our hearts. We all deal with this issue. We have all thought of others physically and lusted in our hearts that were not our husband or not our wives. Well, look at verse 29. Jesus says this in the passage. He says, well, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, then cut it off and throw it away. He says, for both of the body parts, it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus is not proposing that we should just mutilate ourselves and cut off different body parts to get over this lust thing in our hearts. Because here's the reality, you can be blind and crippled and still lust. <laughs> so what is Jesus getting at? Well, in antiquity, hear me with this, the right eye and the right hand were deemed as more valuable. So what Jesus is getting at is that there needs to be a level of seriousness. There, there needs to be a, a level of, of valuing God when dealing with lust. There needs to be a willingness to sacrifice your desire in order to glorify God. Which means, for instance, if you can't have a cell phone without looking at things that you should not be looking at, then you might need to get covenant eyes or some other software that protects you and gives your accountability alert when you look at something you shouldn't look at. And if that doesn't work, then you need to get a flip phone without internet. That's, that's the level of seriousness. It, 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 maybe you just need to not have a phone and ask other people to use it. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe you have a significant other. Here's the other reality. And you, you're, you're staying at their house too long. You're there too late at night. If you can't do that without controlling yourself, then maybe you need to do dates in public. Starbucks dates. Starbucks dates. That's what my wife and I did. Sit at Starbucks and talk to one another. Be in public where you can't do anything. Family, you get the picture. Godly sex in marriage is important to God and it's worth waiting for. So with this, the question becomes, well, how does one pursue sexual purity and not sin? Let me give you some practical but biblical advice. Start by protecting your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Hear me. Be careful of the movies you watch, the books you read, 
the conversations you're in. Even Instagram and social media, you can see way too much on these media outlets and they do affect your view of sex, intimacy, and relationships. I mean, I'm sitting on the ground and I'm like, why is she squatting in that? For real, like, why can't you put clothes on? Dude, why don't you have a shirt on? Like, wh wh why, can't we, why can't we just, why can't we be, I mean, why? You're working out. I mean, be honest. Be, be careful of overly bonded emotional attachments and codependency. Women, family are a little bit more prone to this because of their emotional connection that they have with people. But men, y'all do this too. We, we fall to this too. So we got to be careful. Let a good friendship with the opposite sex naturally grow into romantic love. Don't rush into it. Don't throw up all your deepest emotions on the person at the first date. We like to vomit on people. Some of y'all are just vomiting. Y'all just, just start talking about all the deep connections. You don't even know the person. You're just like, you're just talking about all this stuff. And what you're doing is you're searching for security and you're, you're trying to be vulnerable and you're, you're, you're trying to hook them and you're being too vulnerable too quick. And then what happens is you open yourself up to heartbreak. The emotional damage is just a, that, that happens is just as painful as sexual damage. My pastor used to say it like this. Some of y'all heard me say this, but there, there's this rib analogy. He talks about like well, when Adam was created, God took a rib out of Adam and he made Eve with the rib. And your rib cage protects your heart, protects your heart. So every time you have sex with somebody else, you're creating a union with them where you're giving away a rib. So now it, every time you give out a rib, your heart is a little bit more susceptible to getting hurt. Stop giving out your ribs. But some of us were still sitting there when asking the question. We're still asking, what about sex before marriage? What about sex outside of marriage? If God created me to do it, why can't I do it? The Bible doesn't use the phrase, don't have sex outside of marriage. So why do Christians say this? The Bible uses this phrase, sexual immorality. This phrase is translated from the Greek word porneia. You get porn, the Greek word porneia, which prefers to sex between people that are not married to each other, prostitution, homosexuality, animal intercourse, incest, etc. on down the line. Anything outside of a man and a woman in the bond of marriage. This is what the Bible calls sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, flee from sexual immorality. Here the Bible says, run. It says, flee away from it. Don't play with it, run. Ephesians 5, 3 says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint means don't get close to it, don't mess around with it, don't joke about it, it's serious, it can be deadly, so don't get comfortable with the idea of sexual immorality. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual immoral. It says keep the marriage bed pure. Now family, that doesn't mean Make sure you wash your sheets after you do what you did. It means that one day, possibly, hopefully, you're going to get married. If you're not already, you're going to get married and you're going to bring all the stuff that you did in your past into the marriage bed. 
All of those consequences, all of those thoughts and the things that you did, the shame and the guilt that you feel because you didn't experience all of this with your wife that, that, or husband, that comes into the marriage bed with you. There's consequences to this thing. So he says, keep it pure by keeping your sex life pure right now as you prepare for the possible future marriage one day. And for us that are married, that means enjoy the spouse that God has given you. Enjoy the gift of being with that person and nobody else. Which leads to the question, somebody's thinking it, how close can I get? How close can I get to sex outside of marriage? How far is too far? Actually, we really should be asking the question, how pure can I stay before marriage? But I know you want to ask the first question, so let me answer that. I did this with the young adults, so I'm going to do it this way. Because we want to really know what we can do. So what would you let another woman slash man do with your spouse to be? Okay? So I need three volunteers. I need one man. I need two men. I, come on, if y'all don't do it. Jordan, okay. I need another man. Come on. Come on, I'm going to call you out if you don't do it. All right, right here. And I need a woman. Come on, be bold. There you are, back there. Okay. Jordan, you're man number one, okay? You're man number two. Her back there, she's man number, I mean, she's a woman. She's a woman. <laughs> Sorry, I got you right. She's a woman, okay? You're going to marry her one day, but he's dating her right now. What would you let him do with her knowing that you're going to marry her one day? I mean, physically, what would you, sexually, what would you let him do? Nothing, right? <laughs> Nothing. Not a kiss, not a hug, nothing. Right, that's it. Thank y'all. Thank you. You good. Thank you. Y'all participated greatly. Nothing. And most of us probably going to say the same thing. We might let them kiss or something, but I'm not letting them do nothing. And so here's the question with that. If that's true, then why do we want to go as far as we can go with the person we're dating right now, knowing that they may not be our spouse? Why not want to keep them pure and ourselves pure until we get married? Here's the answer. We tend to be selfish. We want what we want right now, even if it's too early, even if it's wrong. So you ask, well, okay, Pastor D, what about foreplay then? What about it? Okay, the Hebrew word for kiss is derived from the word that, make, that means to kindle. God designed our bodies and our minds in such a way that when we start kissing and making out, it, it's meant to start a passionate fire. Kissing sets it off. God has set it up so that foreplay, heavy kissing, the massaging of areas in our body, genitals and, and such, is, is, a, is a necessary and good part of sex. Sex is not just the last couple minutes of penetration and orgasm. Foreplay, y'all hear me, is the first stages of sex. And it may be part of the final stage depending on how you define sex. Like I said, men, we're like microwaves. We can be quick real quick. We can be ready real quick. Women are, are more like crock pots, slow, slow cookers. <laughs> now, hear me, it can be reversed sometimes too. But women, most of the time, they're like crock pots, slow cookers. It takes a while for them to get 
warmed up. They need to be warmed up sexually. Therefore, foreplay is necessary to help them get ready. Get ready to move on to the final stages of those, those deeply involved stages of sex. God has designed us this way to help that brother pump the brakes a bit. Slow down. Intentionally caress your wife. Get to know her more. Intentionally love her tenderly and get her ready for where you're going. Now hear me again. All men aren't like this and all women aren't like this. Sometimes it can be reversed. I don't want to pigeonhole anybody in here. But with all of that, what I'm really getting at is that when you start dabbling in foreplay activities, you know what? You're dabbling in sex. Our bodies, hear me, weren't meant to get to the place where you're all revved up, your engine's running real hot, and you're ready to go sexually, and then you just stop. Just to say that we didn't go all the way, we didn't actually have sex. No, in actuality, you did. You're lusting in your heart. You're lusting in your, your mind. You already went there in your whole mind and your heart. That's what Jesus is trying to get in here. He said, foreplay tells the body, hear me, y'all, it's, it's about to go down. Don't play with fire outside of the pit. You will get burnt. When I committed to, to the Lord with Kaylee, and I was like, Lord, I'm not going to have sex until I get married. Y'all, I couldn't even hold Kaylee's hand. She was so, I mean, she was fine. I, couldn't, I could not handle myself. If we walked down the street and she started holding my hand and caressing the top of my hand, I was like, yo, you got to stop. I'm through. I, I can't do this. Now, foreplay wasn't even an option for us in, our, in dating I knew, because I knew myself. You got to know yourself. You have to be honest. And I'm not going to tell you don't kiss before you get married or anything like that or not holding hands, but you got to know yourself and you have to be real and honest. Protect your heart and protect your spouse's heart, your spouse to be. Sex is about physically and emotionally pleasing one another, but it doesn't always have to be an orgasm. But either way, it is to be in the context of marriage with one man and one woman. So now before God, you got to ask yourself the question, how far is too far? Some of you think I'm really crazy right now for suggesting to you that you need to combat sexual sin. Some of you think I'm crazy that I'm saying you need to wait on sex and foreplay until marriage. But let me ask you this question. Is what you're doing right now sexually working out for you? Is it everything you always hoped for? Is it giving you all the satisfaction you need? I mean, is our world a better place because we took the boundaries off of sex? I mean, there's more divorce than ever in our society. 50% to be exact, more than 50%, more fatherless homes than ever. 72% of black families are split up and 72% and of black children are raised in single-parent households. 53% of Latinos are, are raised in single households. 30% for white. I'm a product of it. So let me ask you, is it really helping? I mean, the, it, it's time to try a better way. It's time to try this thing God's way. The whole last hour I've been preaching on this, talking about this, is useless unless we realize that we need help. 
And not just help, but we need hope, we need forgiveness, we need a fresh start, a redo, a mulligan on the golf course. We need to start over. So hear me, family. Jesus Christ loves you. He made you. He knows everything about you. He knows the broken places in your body. He knows the broken places in your soul, the broken sexuality, your broken thoughts, your broken dreams, your broken thoughts towards him and your disregard toward him. And guess what? He still wants you. He still loves you. He still wants you to be with him. He still wants you to to, to experience the freedom of forgiveness in him. Jesus bought your freedom and forgiveness with his perfect life, his perfect death, and his perfect resurrection. You got a choice to make today. Be the captain of your own soul, relying on your own limited resources, your own limited wisdom, your own limited strength, or choose the life of full surrender, letting Jesus be the author of your story, the Lord of your life, the Savior of your soul. Won't you surrender your sex life to him, your plans, your career, your love, your image, your brand to him? I did it, and it was one of the best decisions I made in my life. Being able to talk from both sides of the coin, being married now, sex is way better than marriage. Family, hear me. You can't have enough single sex, enough married sex, enough solo sex, enough hot sex, cold sex, wild sex, Snapchat sex. We got to say all of them because it's all real now. You can't have enough sex to fully satisfy your need for love, your need for significance, your need for pleasure. Sex is great, but hear me, Jesus is greater. Find your satisfaction in Christ as you follow him step by step and day by day. Jesus is God's gift of life to you. Don't leave that gift unwrapped. Sex is God's wedding gift to you. Don't unwrap it too soon. We fight lust. We fight temptation and our desires by keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is where I want to end today. I want you to do this in your own time, but I want you to read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 later on your own. But the writer of these songs is King David. And King David was a godly man who sinned sexually, even had his mistress's husband murdered. And these two psalms are his journal journal entry after he sinned. And he deals with the guilt and the weight of his sexual choices. And when he finally owns up to his sin and he confesses it to the Lord, he mentions the freedom he feels from the guilt. He mentions the freedom he feels from the shame. Family, Jesus is offering us that same freedom and forgiveness right now. Some of us are right there now. Feeling the guilt and the shame of our sexual lives And we need to admit our sin to Jesus. Choose to walk away from sinning and get help and accountability from a trusted friend or pastor. You may even need to break up with the boyfriend or the girlfriend that you're with to get your sexual boundaries in order. 
that's my story. Kaylee and I, every time it got a little too hot, I was like, I'm good. I got to run away from this. I had guys calling me at 11 p.m. every night asking me, where's your hands? Are you, are you still at the house? Okay, give her a kiss. It's time to go. You know why it may sound crazy to you, but you know why? You know why I did these things? I had these boundaries set up? Because honoring God was that important to me. And I'm not a saint or anything. I'm not perfect. I messed up just like all of us. But it meant that much to me. And hear me, family. I'm not just talking to the person that's single in here. One of the most far-fetched lies we believe is that once we get married, my lust will be controlled. My porn issues will go away. My desires will be satisfied. That's not true. And to the married folk in here, hear me, it's almost more important for you to have accountability around you, people that are going to call on you, people that are praying for your marriage, pastors that are caring for you, because here's the reality, Satan is attacking marriages. The marriage union resembles, it's supposed to resemble Christ's love for the church. Satan does not want people to see Jesus. So the reality is he's attacking marriages. He wants you on an island thinking you're good all by yourself. You don't need help or anything all by yourself. He's like, no, I got you right where I want you. So it's important for all of us to have accountability and community. So here's the question. Friends, let me ask you because we all have to answer this. Are we willing to say, God, I give you all of me? And I need help in this area. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You're a good God. God, we thank you that your scripture talks about everything underneath the sun. Even things that we don't want to talk about. We thank you, God, that you do design it to where we can fulfill those desires and have These things are filled. But also, our Lord, I pray for those that are sitting there and saying, well, I'm not married. I can't have that, God. I pray that in this moment that they wouldn't waste time and that they would fall deeper and deeper in love with you, Jesus, knowing that they're complete in you. And when you so choose to bring us out, which you do, God, it just adds to the completeness they already have. And for those that are married here, God, that are struggling here, and for all of us that are struggling with just the lust in our heart, maybe we've done things that are outside of the bounds that you called us to as Christians, God. God, I pray that we would just submit to you right now. Lord, that you are forgiving, God, that you are gracious, God, and you still accept us, seeing the mess in our hearts, seeing how deeply depraved we are and running away from you, God, you still want us to be home with you. God, I pray that we would feel and know that you still love us, that you always will. Lord, I pray that we'll continue to give us, give you all of us. And in that, God, despite all that's happened, God, you love us farther than the east is west and our sin slain our sin stain covered. God, we give you all the glory this morning.
pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said together, amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.